0: Children's Church at this time, those who will be participating in that today. Those of you who are remaining, I would invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, we will be continuing our study through the book of Hebrews together. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 18. For you have not come to a mountain that cannot be that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to a uh, Uh, Darkness and gloom in a whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet, and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard it begged no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, even if even a beast touched the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the myriads of angels, to the general assembly, to the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turned away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then But now he has promised saying yet only once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression yet once more denotes the removing of those things which shall be shaken as of created things so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming Fire. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truthfulness of your word. Father, we thank you for how your word shapes us and changes us and transforms us. Father, this morning, may our hearts and minds be open to your word. May your spirit work freely in our lives to conform us to the image of Jesus. We ask these things in his name. Amen. So, this morning, as we continue our study through Hebrews together, we come to Jesus, a better kingdom. And the question is asked essentially at the beginning of this text, <clears throat> what sort of kingdom are we coming to? And so verses 18 through 24, we see a contrast between the two types of kingdoms, particularly the old covenant and the new covenant. And so initially the writer, the author states that we have not come to the restriction of God's presence in the old covenant. There were a lot of restrictions restrictions. There were a lot of separations. There were a lot of things that caused us to have to keep our distance from the Lord. And we have not come now through Jesus Christ to these restrictions. And some examples are given. So the author lists out several things. We haven't come to the burning mountain. You'll remember the story from the book of Exodus. Exodus. Uh, where God is giving the law and the fire and the gloom on top of the mountain and the thunderous voice of God. We haven't come to that darkness. We haven't come to that gloom. We haven't come to the terrifying sound of God's voice, as it says in verse 19. We haven't been given the threat of death to those who approach this mountain, which was even given to the animal kingdom. Even if one of your animals touches this mountain, it needs to be stoned to death and it's going to die. The old covenant was predominantly one Of fear and distance and separation. When you think through what's going on in the Old Testament. And you think through the establishment of the law. There is a thread of mercy that you can see that runs through it. It's very clear. There is a picture of the future type of Jesus. And the deliverance that can be had. But it's a thread. And a very large fabric that otherwise is incredibly oppressive. And it was meant to be this way on purpose because man's sinning has created a separation between us and God. The Scripture makes it very clear in a number of places that while the law is good... And the law can point us generally toward a life that is pleasing to God. The law was not given to us for our salvation, but rather to show us the condemnation that we have in being separated from God. And a vast majority of the laws that were given, well over 600 laws given in the Old Testament, are laws of separation. Don't eat this thing. Don't touch that thing. Don't approach this thing. Don't do this on that day. Don't give this kind of sacrifice. Don't worship God in this sort of way. If you're the high priest, you can come to this space. If you're a regular priest, you can come to that space. If you're a man in the nation of Israel, you can come to this space. If you're a woman in the nation of Israel, you can come to that space. If you're an outsider who wasn't born in the nation of Israel, you can come to this space. The law was predominantly a visible picture of separation from God. That's what it was massively restrictive. And if you don't believe me, take the challenge of trying to live under the Old Testament law for just a few weeks. I'm going to just go ahead and venture to guess that most of what most people ate the past couple of weeks for the holiday season would have been disqualified. You would have not had those tasty victuals that you had if you were following the restrictive laws of the book of Leviticus. I wouldn't have gotten to have the shrimp that we had the other day. Just wouldn't. Uh, How you feel about shrimp? I love them. Nope. Off the table. Not allowed. You like your steak more on a rare side with a lot of blood? Nope. No, 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 no. No bleeding animals to eat. Not allowed. Not allowed. You gotta get that thing leathery, tough, and well done. That's just how the law is. Super restrictive. Incredibly restrictive. Did you come in contact with an unclean thing? You gotta go sleep outside until you wash yourself with water and then you come back in the next day. Well, what are the unclean things? There's a list about 180 of them. Let's just try to keep all that stuff straight. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, was one of fear of distance, of separation. Even the people, when they heard the voice of God, said, we don't want God to speak directly to us again. Moses, you go talk to God and come tell us what he said, because it's too terrifying for us to hear the voice of God. This is the restriction That was from before. But friends this is not what we live under. In the new covenant. This is not what we live under. In the kingdom that Jesus Christ. Has established through his death. And resurrection. Rather as the writer to Hebrews says. As we continue this first section. We have come to the glorious freedom. Of Jesus Christ. Notice what he says when you get to verse 22. Says, but we have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God and the heavenly Jerusalem and to the myriads of angels and to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, who is the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous that are being made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, who sprinkled it with blood, a blood that speaks better than the blood of Abel. This is what we've come to. Now, if we're not careful, we would try to get each one of these things to mean something, or to physically represent an actual thing. Well, there's an actual Mount Zion and there's going to be an actual city of Jer- heavenly Jerusalem and there's going to be an actual. No, these are all the magnificent metaphors of the glory of the kingdom of Jesus Christ and those who inhabit it. And it's abiding for us now. Please do not read this as an eschatological passage. This isn't something that we're waiting for later. This is what Jesus has ushered in through his death, burial, and resurrection. We now have a holy Mount Zion, a city of the living God, and a heavenly Jerusalem that we dwell in. We now are currently seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus in the presence of angels. We now are in and among the general assembly spiritually with Christ. We are currently, even right now as we're participating together among the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven we have access to God himself I don't have to go and wait outside because I'm a Gentile I don't have to have like some sort of gender transference to get a little closer to be a woman from Israel. I don't have to change my nationality to become a male from Israel. I don't have to engage myself in the old clerical ways of Israel to become a priest to get a little closer. And I don't have to wait for the high priest to do anything for me. The veil has been torn. It's been ripped apart. The opening into the presence of God has come and it has come through Jesus Christ. I now have access to God in a way that Moses was terrified of. And it's normative for me. I'm allowed. Into the presence. Of God almighty. Without. Fear. Why? Because he's welcomed me there. As his child. Redeemed through the blood. Of his son Jesus Christ. He now calls me son. I call him father. Father. I call Christ my brother, as the New Testament says, I am co-heirs with Christ. I'm seated on a throne with Christ. As Jesus prayed in John 17. The father now loves me with the same love with which he loves his own son. I do not have to veil my face. I don't have to turn it away. I don't have to look at the back parts of God and worry about being struck down with death for seeing God in his face. As the book of Revelation declares, in that great and glorious day of the resurrection, I will see God face to face. He himself will wipe every tear away from my eyes and he will be my God and I will be among his people. This is what Jesus has done. We get to come into the presence of God in a way that was foreign to everyone who was a part of the old covenant. They had a kingdom of fear and distance and separation. We have a kingdom of freedom and invitation and closeness. We're welcomed in. And I think that we so take this for granted. That we're so used to hearing this, that our minds and our hearts have become dull and numb to the vast number of warnings in the scripture, both Old and New Testament, of what happens to those who dare approach God in an unworthy and an unholy way. Let's not forget that the author to Hebrews just prior to this said how terrible of a thing it is to fall into the hands of the living God. He was giving a warning to the people saying, be careful the way you approach God. Still giving that warning. It's still there. Do not approach God in your own strength and in your own power and in your own way and in your own righteousness. If you're going to approach God, approach him through the person of Jesus Christ and through the person of Jesus Christ alone. Not your tradition, not your family background, not your righteous acts, not what you think you know or what you don't think you know, but Jesus and Jesus alone. And I think that we've become numb to this, this glory and splendor and majesty and beauty of Jesus and all of the things that He has done for us, chiefly being He allows me to walk in the garden in the cool of the day like Adam did with God Almighty without fear. And my own sinning, and my own returning to my sin, makes that very difficult for me to believe. My own sin convicts me regularly that I must be reading this wrong. And surely this can't be right. Because I know I'm still wretched. I know I'm still broken. I know that I still fall short of the glory of God. I know through my actions and my inactions and my attitudes and the dark secrets of my own heart and the the perceptions that I have and the and the imaginations that I concoct. I know that there is a deep, dark, abiding reality in me that is still quite wretched. And the scripture makes it so clear that that which is unholy and that which is impure and that which is doesn't does not have clean hands and that which does not have a pure heart cannot approach the throne of God above. And when I look at myself and I see what is produced in my life. It all seems. It all seems like. a How can this be? How can this be? But friends, that's the problem. If I look upon myself, I'm looking at the wrong place. If I look upon myself, I am searching for access to God within me. And that's idolatry. I'm placing myself in a position I should not be in. Never should I look to myself for access to the Most High God even on a really good day when things seem to be going the way that they should and I seem to really be walking the way that I ought to walk, if I'm still looking at myself and my righteous acts, I'm looking at the wrong place. And on a really bad day when things are not going well and I'm crawling back to my sin, I'm looking at the wrong place. My eyes should never be cast inward. They should be cast outward and upward to the glory of the crucified and resurrected Jesus because there I see my redemption. There I see my access. There I see my inheritance. There I see my invitation to sit at the master's table. And I think that we get it wrong so many times in our lives. We either loathe over our sinning. Oh, woe is me. Look at the sin. It's so great. It's so big. How could God love me? Or we look at the small flares of righteousness that are produced in our lives. Hey, look how good I'm doing. Look how great it's going. Look, I'm better than the people around me. And we have this misguided perception of what it means to walk rightly with God. Our focus should ever be on the Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. And say, Philip, that just doesn't really seem to be very helpful to me. And that is the problem with all of us in modern Christianity. We want the exciting, glorious, hip, cool, you know, give me the give me the fun stuff. I want the fun stuff. Christianity. Christianity. When's the fun stuff going to start happening? No, friends, the Christian life is very flat. Some might even use the word mundane. I wake up. I preach the gospel to myself. I remind myself of the glory of Jesus. Through the working of the spirit in my life, I pray that God's grace will cause the eyes of my heart to be cast upon the Lord Jesus Christ and that I will be conformed to his image as I walk through this day. And then I proceed to attempt to walk through the day chasing after the image of Jesus Christ. Whatever that looks like. Maybe it's being more pleasant in the line at the grocery store. Maybe it's being a little less ill-tempered. In traffic on South Broadway right before Christmas. That's a great piece of sanctification, by the way. Everybody's like, can't they do something about traffic? God has ordained South Broadway traffic at Christmas time to sanctify all of his people. Or to teach you to avoid those things that might cause you to sin, which is what I did. I just never got on South Broadway the whole three weeks right before Christmas. Because I wanted to walk rightly with the Lord. So... But this is what we have access to. We don't have access to fear. We don't have access to distance. We don't have access to separation. We have access to the glorious freedom of Jesus Christ. It says in the revelation. When John had his first great heavenly vision. Of the exalted Jesus Christ. It says in the text, he said, I fell down as a man dead. He was overwhelmed with fear and terror and anxiety at seeing the glory of Christ. And do you know what it says right after that? But he came to me. And he reached out to me. And in essence, paraphrasing. No, you are welcome here. (laughs) And how little, dear Christian friend, how little time do we spend truly marveling at the freedom and the access and the loving invitation that we have been given as the people of God. Glorying in the work of Jesus Christ. Instead, our minds and our attention is turned to other things that distract and frustrate and create anxiety and worry and fear and doubt and anger instead of keeping our attention focused on the great glory of Christ. And so the author here to the Hebrews makes a transition and he begins speaking to us about this unshakable kingdom. And so there's these things that are shaken and things that are unshaken. And we must attend to the word of the Lord. Notice what it says. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will they escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. This is the very voice of God sending out one more warning into this church. Declaring to them to be attentive, friends, there is no escape for those who ignore the warnings of God and what has been the chief warning of God throughout all of this message in Hebrews, it is that Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus alone is the preeminent one that should have our focus. Not the greatness of my sin. Not the greatness of my righteousness, not the greatness of my ancestry, not the greatness of my history and my heritage and my upbringing and my understanding of theology. These are not the things that should have my attention. Christ Jesus alone should have my attention. For Christ Jesus alone is the only one that can save me. And it says here this great warning that God is going to shake the world. This is an eschatological reality what's going to happen at the end. There's a shaking of the world that's going to occur. The scripture uses a lot of different metaphors to talk about what's going to happen. It talks about, you know, the, there's going to be a purification by fire and the things that are, are of precious value will remain and those things that are not will, will be burned up, you know, hay, straw and stubble and pure gold and the dross will come up to the top and there's language of... Um, Of of things being broken down, things being separated, things being divided to the left and to the right. There's all kinds of different ways that the end is spoken about. In this one, it's talking about a great shaking of things. Almost envisioning a type of earthquake, if you will. A a shaking up of things. But it's a spiritual shaking up. God's going to shake the world. Shake heaven and earth. And the things that can be shaken will be removed. They'll be leveled out. Those things in my life that I think are of massive importance but actually have no value at all will be shaken out. Friends, it's incredible the inordinate amount of time and energy that we put into things in our lives that actually don't matter at all. At all. Those things will all be removed. They'll all be removed. And then it says to us that the things that cannot be shaken will remain faith, hope, love, righteousness, the mortification of the flesh, fruit of the spirit. These things cannot be shaken, these things will remain. And then he announces, and friends, we should find glory in this. We should get overwhelmed by this. The frozen chosen among us should thaw a little bit and get excited for a hot second about this. But we have come to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Verse 28, therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, can you imagine Let's let's just stop for a second. Can you imagine being part of a political system that was perfect and flawless and immovable and could not be overwhelmed internally or externally by any manner of evil whatsoever? Can you imagine this? No, you can't, because that's not where we live. We can try, but we've never lived in a world where that could be real. We can't imagine that. Because our imaginations are flawed, our imaginations are still tainted by sin. Even the perfect utopia that we would concoct would have something wrong with it. And there's never been an example in human history of a kingdom that's like that. They've all had flaws. They've all had broken leaders. They've all had broken people. They've all had enemies that could be greater from without or from within. But can you imagine, just for a second, just maybe get as close to the edge of a glimpse that you could of a flawless, perfect, righteous kingdom that could never be overthrown. And you were welcomed into that kingdom as a citizen Protected by its unshakable walls. Friends, that is the kingdom that we have been invited into by Jesus Christ. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. Because Jesus is the perimeter, and He's the ruler, and He's the lawgiver. And he's the one who invites in, and he's the warrior, and he's the one who casts the enemy out, and he's the judge, and he's 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 the priest and the sacrifice, and he's everything. Jesus is everything in this kingdom, and he's perfect, and he's righteous, and he's flawless, and he has invited us in. And so, what should we do? Looking around at the world, we see. Listen, you think things are squirrely right now? Oh, it's the end of the world. America's caving in on itself. It's going to be horrible, tragic and devastating and awful and terrible. I won't name the names to protect the guilty, but I had one friend say, we're about to have a Joe apocalypse. That's what they said. I'm just quoting them. You think it's bad? Really, you think you think this is bad? And what might happen is bad. Do you know what was going on when they wrote this to the people who were living at this time that we call the book of Hebrews? Not even close to what they were going through. We are way far away from this. Way far away from this. And do you know what he wrote to them who were going through something massively worse than we could even possibly think about right now? Do you, know what the, do you know what he wrote to them? We have an unshakable kingdom that we are in right now. Stop living in the fear of your circumstances. You've been invited in with Jesus Christ. And what did he say their response should be? They were watching their loved ones put to death in a gladiator ring. If it's written when I think it was written... Nero was impaling the bodies of Christians on sidewalks to use as lampposts. They were being thrown in prison. They were being murdered under the idea of being treasonous. They were having their property confiscated and given over to the government. They were having their writings destroyed and their leaders imprisoned or killed the commercial break entertainment in the gladiator arenas was the feeding of women and children to wild beasts this is what they were going through and the writer to the hebrews says to them you live in an unshakable kingdom and this should be your response listen to what it says <clears throat> verse 28 since we have received an unshakable a kingdom which cannot be shaken let us Show gratitude. Sometimes the Bible asks us to do things. That apart from the work of God in our lives and the grace of Jesus Christ and the power of the the Holy Spirit, the triune God working in conjunction together in our hearts can never happen. I'll be frank this morning. If I were to have watched my wife and children drug out of my home and into an arena and fed to wild animals as commercial break entertainment, if they had watched me drug out to have to fight in a gladiator arena, if we'd watched those that we loved who were part of our community of faith have the same things happen to them and be imprisoned and all kinds of other things and then somebody were to just say to me, hey, you know, I know it's tough and circumstances are bad and things look pretty bleak, but you know what? We actually live in an invisible and shakable kingdom and you need to give thanks right now. I'm not sure who would have had a worse time, the guy dragging my family out of my house or the guy who told me I should be thankful about it. I'm just being frank with you this morning. Sometimes the scripture says stuff to us that sounds insane. It's good. You say, Philip, that's pretty severe context you put on it. You know, sometimes we read words in the Bible and we don't know the context or we forget the context and we go, oh, yeah, give thanks. And we don't realize what the people were going through that were called upon to give thanks. The writer to Hebrews says to these people going through the worst of the possible circumstances that you could imagine for their faith, he says, you need to give thanks. Thanks. And you know what? If you're looking at anything other than Jesus, you and I will not be able to do that. I've never been through this. But I've been through things that hurt like this. And friend, I'll tell you. It was really hard to give thanks in those situations. It was really hard to look past my pain and my feelings and my anxiety and my anger. It was really hard to look beyond the circumstances I found myself in that were awful and terrible and thrust upon me. Not not be it's really easy for me to deal with, hey, if I did something knuckleheaded and I sinned and I rebelled against God, bad things happened. Well, that's on me. I did that. Philip, you brought this on yourself. But in those cases where you're walking with the Lord and you're doing righteously and you're pursuing righteousness and then just the brokenness of the world brings great pain onto you and there's nothing that you can do about it. It's really hard in those moments to look past those circumstances and acknowledge that you live in an unshakable kingdom and you should give thanks. But friends, if we look at ourselves and our circumstances, we will never give thanks. Ever. Because one of two things will happen. We'll look at our circumstances and we'll think that they're too bad for us to be thankful. Or we'll look at our circumstances and we'll see how great our circumstances are. But because we're looking at ourselves, we'll think that we're the ones responsible for how great our circumstances are. And we're sure not going to thank ourselves. So we won't give thanks in either case. Because that's what idolatry does. The idolatry of self-loathing or the idolatry of self-exaltation. And here, there's a call to look beyond ourselves to the glory of Jesus Christ, the king of the unshakable kingdom, and to give thanks. And I'm just admitting to you this morning, friend, that's that's really hard to do sometimes. Really hard to do sometimes. And then it continues but not only should we give thanks, not only should we show gratitude, but in the showing of gratitude, it causes us to offer service to God. So our gratitude should not just be one of a verbal thanks, but our gratitude to the King of the Unshakable Kingdom should be demonstrated by the actions of our lives. Showing in a tangible way that we are thankful that we're part of his unshakable kingdom. So in other words, the writer to these Hebrews is saying, listen, you guys are receiving all of this persecution because of the gospel. You know what you need to do? You need to acknowledge that you're part of an unshakable kingdom and you have an unshakable king and you need to show that you're thankful by doing more of this gospel stuff that caused you to get persecuted in the first place. Whoa. Because we all have a tendency when we realize that doing the right thing causes a great deal of pain. We all have a tendency to stop doing the right thing. Because the right thing becomes a little too hard to do. Hey, you know, I would keep doing this thing. I would keep doing this thing. But it's just not getting the results. And it's causing too much pain. And I don't like how it's making me feel. And I don't like what it's doing to other people. And it's, you know, if I just stopped doing, I know this thing's right. And I know this thing's good. And I know it's what's best. But if I just stopped doing it, all of these other troubling circumstances would just go away. That's a great temptation that lives in every human heart. <clears throat> the writer of the Hebrews knew this. And says, listen, you need to not just give thanks, you need to give thanks unto service unto God. Don't grow weary, as the scripture says, in well doing. And how should we do this? How should we do this gratitude filled service with reverence and awe to God? God. Again, full circle, pointing our attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, friends, the greatest good that was ever done in this world was his death on the cross. And I guarantee you, it was not an enjoyable experience for him. And then he gives this final warning that our God is a consuming fire. And this idea of a consuming fire is both positive and negative. It's negative in the sense of judgment. If Christ is not there, if righteousness does not abide, it's a consuming fire unto judgment. But for those who are in Christ and those who are in the Lord, this consuming fire consumes out everything in us that is not like Christ, shaping us and molding us and forming us into the image of Jesus. Friends, Either way, you will go through the consuming fire of God. The question is, will you go through an unbelief unto judgment or through faith unto conformity to the image of Jesus and salvation? Either way, you're going through it. You will go through the consuming fire of God. You will. And so for our question this morning, because, friends, we have a better kingdom, much better kingdom, one of freedom, one of access one of of welcoming, one of invitation, one that seats us on thrones, one that, that, that causes all kinds of great things to happen for us because of God's love to us. And manifold spiritual blessings that we receive because of the great work of Jesus Christ. This is the kingdom that is unshakable that we have been brought to. So the question this morning, what shakable things am I clinging to? Rather than the unshakable glory of Jesus Christ. And friends, I, I don't have time to list out every possibility of what that might be. But if we're honest, if we just take a real honest moment. And we look at our lives. What has most of my attention? What has most of my energy? What has most of my effort? What consumes uh, most of my time? W- what, what is it that I, I get most anxious about? What causes me to have the most worry? What is it that causes me to have the most fear? What is it that leads me to have the most doubt? What is it that I'm grabbing a hold of that fills my mental, emotional, and spiritual life? If that is not the things of Christ... And the things that come off of being in Christ, which are plentiful. Then it is a shakeable thing. That needs to be abandoned. That needs to be understood as an idolatrous thing in our lives. And the great problem with it, friend, is that a lot of times the things that we cling to. We justify our clinging to them because they are actually good Things. That we've taken from the realm of being a good thing and exalted it to being a preeminent thing. Jesus should be here and all the good things should be under him. And what we often do is we grab a hold of a good thing and we push Jesus down and we stick the good thing up here. And then we excuse ourselves from the idolatry of the good thing because it's a good thing. Of course, this can't be sinful for me to focus on this and to be worried about this and to attend to this and to be consumed by this because it's a good thing. God would never be frustrated with me or angry with me or call me to repent over giving so much attention to a good thing. When in fact, there's many good things. That are actually horrible idols. It's about how we prioritize our lives. It's about how we fit things together. It's about how we view Jesus in the midst of these things. And so, friend, what shakable thing am I clinging to? Rather than the unshakable glory of Jesus Christ. Because, friend, this morning, I want to close with this word of encouragement. Friend, this morning, if you're in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith and repentance, if you've come under the gospel. If Christ is indeed your king and here all in all. No matter what your circumstances are. No matter what you're facing. No matter what you're going through. You have come into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You have been given glorious freedom in Christ. Let's live that way. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you. Thank you that Jesus Christ is a better kingdom. Because Jesus Christ is the one true great king. Father, help us by faith. By your grace and for your glory. Come to recognize that we are now in an unshakable kingdom. That we are rooted and planted in the very life of Christ himself. It's no longer I who live. But Christ who lives within me. Father let us turn our attention away. From the shakeable things of this world. From the distractions of our circumstances. And from the idolatry that's produced by them. And let us attend to the glory of Jesus Christ. We ask these things in his name. Amen.